Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Oh yeah, it's July. Time flies. Uh, but maybe this is never more true than when you examine uh, or reflect over an entire decade. When you start thinking about 10 years that have passed, it kind of brings into perspective that things change rapidly. The amount of change that we experience in a 10-year period can be absolutely overwhelming when you stop and think about it. But the truth is it may never be more true than in the decade that we call the 60s. Uh, so perhaps one of the best ways to understand a decade is to listen to a decade because the music kind of gives you a feel for what the decade was all about. Now some of y'all going to be mad because I didn't play your favorite song this morning, but you're just going to have to deal with it. I'm just, I'm just giving you a snippet. So play that overview of the 60s real quick. Hello. All right, all right. That's enough. I can't stand anymore. All right. Oh, Lord. Fade that joker out. Oh, man. So, welcome to the 60s. Fade it out, Tyler. 
That's all we can stand, although some of you in here were worshiping, but I don't know, this glazed look came over your eye. I'm not really sure what that was about, but uh, uh, so let me give you some backdrop. Uh, we were exiting the conclusion of World War II, right at the end of the 50s, uh, so there was this huge cultural upheaval that took place in America. Now, I'm not going to try to give you a history lesson, but I am going to try to give you an overview because without the overview, we don't understand what was going on. So there was this move from uh, poodle skirts to bell bottoms. Uh, thank, thank the Lord. All right. uh, sock hops gave way to Woodstock, uh, and then there was Elvis. Elvis swept the nation, and then all of a sudden, there was this rivalry took place that took place because also in the 60s, the Beatles showed up on the scene, and there was this debate over who was the best and all that kind of stuff. But there were also some very uh, significant historical moments that took place in the 60s that a lot of you don't even know took place in the 60s because you weren't alive yet. So, uh, so let me help you out. Like, let, me, let me mention to you that um, some, some things like this. Civil rights became a huge uh, focus and concentrate. We think that civil rights are big today, but in the 60s when it really all started, because Martin Luther King Jr. showed up, and all of a sudden there was this civil rights movement that took place, and, and equal rights, and then uh, the ladies got on board, and there was a cry for women's rights, and, and all this cultural upheaval, um, there was the assassination of John F. K. that sent our nation into mourning. Uh, there was uh, the Vietnam War, which was fought in the jungles, but it was also fought on the streets of America as protest erupted all over the nation. A man walked on the moon for the first time in the 60s. And the best year ever, 1968, Steve Ely was born in the 60s. Thank you, Jesus. It was, it was the 60s. Um, uh, it was a very crazy, and another way to say it was tumultuous decade, that is probably best described like this. It was a decade of revolution. Uh, there, were, there, were, there was a revolution in what was normal in society. There was a, a, a revolution in clothing. There was a revolution in music. There was the uh, revolution of drugs. There was revolution of sexuality. Um, but CNN said like this. They said this revolution was accomplished by irresponsible excess, flamboyance, and the decay of social order. That's how they summarized what took place in the 60s. And so uh, this is what happened. Uh, free love birth STDs. That's what happened in the 60s. The pursuit of freedom led to psychedelic drugs like LSD, and this was the, the kind of the, the, the calling card to, to join this drug high that would cause you to be liberated. They'd said, tune, uh, turn on, tune in, and drop out. See, somebody was alive in the 60s. They, they remember that being said. Uh, but here was the mantra that kind of swept the nation, it, and this is where the 60s are, are summed up right here. If it feels good, do it. If it feels good to you, then do it. That led all the way to finally, there was a, such a revolution against all the norms in, in society that in uh, 1966, finally, after all of this uh, uh, feel good, uh, if it feels good, do it, and just cast off all restraint and do whatever you want to do and let's have a revolution and all this kind of stuff, it finally led to 1966 when Time magazine read uh, um, uh, the cover of the magazine and it said this, God 
is dead. It was a revolution. It's, it's been said that hindsight is 2020. That when you look back, you can see better than you can look when you're looking forward. And, and so if you look back, it's, it's easy to, to come to this uh, conclusion that the 60s, they began in revolution, but in many cases it ended up in rebellion. And that's the danger. If we're not careful, revolutions, if we're not careful, wind up being rebellion. So what I want to say to you this morning is that in our, in our current decade, what I'm beginning to hear uh, across all platforms is a cry for revolution. I'm hearing for a cry for revolution in our politics, in our policies. I'm hearing a cry for revolution in our educational structures. I'm hearing a cry for revolution in our churches. I'm hearing a cry for revolution on every platform. Everybody seems to be screaming, let's revolt, let's have a revolution. And the truth of the matter is this, if you go into Scripture, what you discover is that Scripture is chock full of revolutions. In the Old Testament, there were countless coups and uprisings and upheavals. And then you turn into the New Testament, and what you discover is that in the New Testament, the central figure that graces its pages is perhaps history's greatest revolutionary. We all want a revolution. I think it's very difficult for us in our current setting and our current surroundings to understand just how revolutionary Jesus was. I didn't even understand it until I finally got the opportunity to go to Israel a couple years ago and standing in that society looking around, seeing what Jesus was confronting, I discovered that Jesus was absolutely radical. He was a revolutionary. He, 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 he spoke out and confronted every system, every thing of society. He came against it. He was a revolutionary. Uh, he arrives on the street scenes and he begins to teach that you can have a personal relationship with the Father. That's revolutionary, y'all, because the, all the religious leaders had set into place all these systems and rules and regulations and steps and, that you had to take, walk through all of them, and you had to go through them to get, only one man could get to the Father, and that was the high priest that went into the Holy of Holies, and Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, that's not right. You can have personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. He was revolutionary. He overturned money-changing tables in the temple. He stood up to spiritual bullies. He opposed political leaders. So if you want to start a revolt, then Jesus is your guy. You are in good company. You, 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 you would get along well with Jesus because Jesus was so revolutionary. So this revolution that he starts against the, the religious and the cultural environment and the systems of, of his day, they were so revolutionary that it cost him his life. They couldn't handle him. So Jesus, he would have fit really well into the scenes of 1960, of the 60s. He would have fit in really well in the 60s because he was so revolutionary. I, I, I tried to think about uh, Jesus' most revolutionary statements, but then as I did that, I, I became reminded that all of, everything he ever said was revolutionary. It, it, it was so against what was going on. Here's some examples. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, and no man can reach the Father except through me. That is a revolutionary statement. We know that's true because we've heard it all our life, but if you place Jesus in his current 
time and his current uh, setting uh, of that day, when he walks down the street and says, no man can come to the Father by, my, by me, he was literally saying, I'm God. He was, okay, y'all are looking at me funny. So, so here's another one. Turn the other cheek. How revolutionary is that? Because they'd been taught eye for an eye. Don't tread on me. They beat Texas to, the, to, to that sentiment. The, don't tread on me. I, if it's eye for an eye. You hit me, I'll hit you back. But Jesus said, turn the other cheek. That's revolutionary, y'all. He said, love your neighbor. Oh, we're going to come back to that one. We're going to come back to that one in September. I'm going to hit y'all four weeks in a row about loving your neighbor in September. But can you re- recognize that that is a revolutionary statement even to this day? He said, if asked to walk one mile, walk two. That's revolutionary. Because who was he talking about asking you to walk a mile? Oppressive soldiers. They were under, they were under the bondage and the, the, the domination of Rome. And Rome soldiers would, could walk up and say, pick up my pack and walk a mile. And Jesus is saying, if they ask you to do that, walk too. Come on, make up application to today. What we're asked to do. Okay, y'all are still looking at me funny. Here's another one. If you lust... That's the same as adultery. That's pretty revolutionary. If you hate, it's the same as murder. Jesus was a revolutionary. Gain your life by losing it. Take up your cross every day. Die daily. Those are revolutionary statements that that turned Jesus' world upside down. It it was counter to everything that was being taught, everything that was being lived, every society norm. He was a revolutionary. His revolutionary thoughts and demands would have fit, fit very well in the 1960s, but listen to me this morning. He would have been an outcast in the 60s because even though he was revolutionary, he was not rebellious. Did you catch that? Jesus would have fit really well into the 60s because of his revolutionary ideas, but he would have been an outcast in the 60s because he was categorically against rebellion. In fact, we, we see a glimpse of this in Mark. In Mark chapter 14, in verse 48, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and uh, uh, Judas has betrayed him, and the, 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 politic, uh, the um, spiritual leaders had gathered a mob to come arrest him with Roman soldiers in tow, and they come after him, and they have their swords drawn, and they're going to arrest him, right? And listen to what Jesus says. He says, am I leading a rebellion? that you come after me with swords and clubs to capture me? He was saying, listen, I may, be re- I may be leading a revolution, but I am not leading a rebellion. Okay, okay, some of y'all still looking at me. I'm getting ready to mess with you now, okay? Because here are the lessons that we've got to learn. As we reflect back over these decades, we're trying to learn some lessons. We're not just dressing up for fun. We're trying to learn lessons that we may have missed. So Jesus teaches us some things that the 60s failed to teach us. And please don't misunderstand. In the 2000s that we live in now, all we are doing is we're building on the lessons that society has been teaching us from the beginning. 
In fact, if I had time, but I don't, I will, I will spend a little time on it next week. But, but everything that we were taught in the 50s led to what we did in the 60s. And everything that we did in the 60s leads us to do what we do in the 70s. And everything that we do in the 70s led to what we did in the 80s. And so on and so forth. Till today, all we're doing is living on the foundations of what we've been taught. For good or for bad. And so Jesus would have taught us some things that we missed in the 60s. The first thing that he would have taught us is this. He would, he, he would teach us that free from must lead to free to. Amen. See, revolution sounds attractive because we're convinced that life without all these rules and regulations is real freedom. I just want to do what I want to do, and if it feels good, I want to have the ability to do it. I don't want anybody to judge me. I don't want anybody to tell me I'm wrong. I don't want anybody to put any rules on me. I just want to be free. I just want to just leave me alone and let me be free. Besides, I'm an American, so I'm supposed to be free. I'm supposed to be able to do anything I want to do. I just want to be free. We don't want any laws. We don't want any barriers. And we think that's real freedom. However, what I came to tell you is that we fail to realize that life with no rules and no regulations and no boundaries and no guardrails and no guide rails, can I tell you this morning, that's not a revolution, that's rebellion. Because true revolution, all true revolution does is it establishes new rules, new regulations that result in freedom. Free from must lead to free to. So a lot of us walk around as Christians and we talk about this. We say this. I've heard some of you say this. Jesus has set me free. And then you begin to tell what Jesus has set you free from. But my question to you this morning goes one step further than that. I'm not as interested as, as to what he set you free from as I am to what he set you free to. Because if he set you free from drugs, then what is he setting you free from drugs to do? If he's setting you free from promiscuous lifestyle and all these, all these uh, relationships, if he set you free from that, then why has he set you free from that? What is he setting you free to? If he set you free from anger, what is he setting you free to become? If he's setting you free from hate, what is he setting you free to become? See, Jesus would have taught us that we need to be set free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But what is their freedom to? What is their freedom to? See, my concern this morning is that uh, revolution against systems of abuse and authority is a good thing. Uh, abuse of authority, there, there should be a, revo a revolution against that. But if revolution leads to rebellion against authority, the authority of God, where I can do anything I want to do and there is no moral absolute, I just get to make this up on my own as I go, then that is rebellion. Are y'all hearing me this morning? And then here, here's the, here's the, the, the damage that happens comes out of that is if if we rebel against the authority of God then it leads to contempt for God I can't get no help and then what it leads to is after we become 
we struggle with this idea that God is our, our law and our guide and there's moral absolutes and there's a way that we should live. If we throw that aside, then the next step is we also throw aside godly ordained leaders. And so revolution gives birth to rebellion and rebellion then gives birth to disrespect. Don't we live in the most disrespectful society in the nation? I don't care. I Listen... I'm, I, don't, I never talk politics to y'all, but can I just talk politics one, one second to just to prove my point? Because when Obama was president, all of us that are Republicans treated him with great disrespect. And now that a Republican is president, we get mad when the Democrats make fun of our guy. It, what happened to respect? I don't care whether you liked Obama or Trump. Truth is, I didn't like either one of them. I don't like either one of them. But I have respect for the office enough that I can't speak bad about them because they, are, they hold a position of authority that is God-ordained. The Bible says that God raises up kings and governors and leaders. So I have to respect the authority of the, the position, whether I like the person... I, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew it's bouncing and hit me right back. I knew you wouldn't like it. But I'm telling you, that's what happens when revolutions become rebellions and uh, rebellious and we begin to lose our respect. As a revolutionary, Jesus was the one that said, give honor to whom honors do. He operated that way. He operated with the systems and within the systems of government. He was once challenged about paying taxes. God of the universe owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. He owns it all. And he's challenged about paying taxes. And guess what he does? He pays taxes. Because he was a revolutionary, but he wasn't rebellious. In, in the world, but not of the world. I operate and I revolt. And, I, and, I, and I'm, uh, I'm interested in being a revolutionary, but I must understand that, that I still honor those who deserve honor, and I still respect what needs to be respected, and I operate within the confines of the new rules and regulations that this revolution put into place, which is I don't speak ill of those that serve. Okay, um, I give honor to who honors do. I, 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 I look after those that labor among us. I, I don't... I don't I don't look down on people because they have less than me. I don't look down on people because they don't look like me. I, I... See, what we've got to remember is this. See, we wouldn't have learned that. We, we, we failed to learn this in the 60s. We failed to learn that following Jesus is not the practice of rebellion. Instead, it is the practice of obedience. We must remember why Jesus came to the earth in the first place. You know why Jesus showed up? To fix man's rebellion. Come on, no, your Bible tells us all this. All we had to do was look at it. In Genesis, God says, you can eat of any tree but this tree, Adam and Eve. And they don't just revolt, they rebel. And they go and eat from the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat from. And Jesus was sent and he died to, to resolve the rebellion that man was involved in. That's why we need to understand that anything other than complete and total obedience 
to the commands of Christ. Hear me, I'm going to say that again. Anything other than complete and total obedience to the commands of Christ. I'm going to say that one more time and then I'm going to, I'm going to read it to you so you'll know I'm telling the truth. Anything less than complete and total command, obedience to the commands of Christ. Wait a minute. Even the ones I don't like? Yes. Even the ones I don't agree with? Yes. There's no asterisk that says I get to make up my mind. Here's our text for the day. I waited a long time to give it to you. Some of you are nervous. John 14, 15. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Okay, I'm kind of a logical guy sometimes. Not all the times. But sometimes I'm pretty logical. So when I read this statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, then logically I have to come to this conclusion. If I don't keep your commandments, see, some of y'all are logical too, then I don't love you. Jesus was trying to teach us that we are called to obedience. Following Jesus is a practice of obedience. Following Jesus is a practice of obedience. I, following Jesus is a practice in obedience. We've got to practice obedience. We're not called to practice rebellion. There are three significant accounts. There's more than that, but the three I was just reminded of quickly of rebellion that is found in Scripture. One I've already referenced, Adam and Eve in Genesis. Uh, the, the account of Lucifer's, Lucifer's attempted coup in heaven. The other one that always strikes me is the account of uh, Absalom trying to overthrow his, his dad as king, David as king. And all of a sudden, we, we recognize that, that moments of rebellion in Scripture never end well. I throw out another one, Korah. Y'all remember that one? He rises up in opposition to Moses. God, was, God had appointed Moses as the man, the leader, and Korah says, I can do this better than you can. That's how it all starts right there, by the way. If I was president, yeah, you wouldn't do anything else than what's being done because the whole thing is corrupt. Doesn't matter who's in there, it's corrupt. The system's broken. If I, if I was the mayor, if I was the boss at my place of employment, I would do things differently. That's what Core's attitude was. If I was the pastor, okay, I just threw that one in there for free. It never ends well. Never. Never. Rebellion never ends well. Because, listen, how you end is determined by how you start. That's not even in my notes, and I'm preaching good right now. How you end is always determined by how you start. So if you start in rebellion, don't come to the end and expect God to go, well, they're just a good guy, and I'm just going to bless them. I know they were in rebellion, but I'll bless them right now. Won't work. If a relationship that you wanted, even though God said don't, because he said, don't be unequally yoked. I'm just, I, I know he was talking to everybody but me because he, God certainly didn't know this guy looked like this or he wouldn't have said that because he's so stinking kibushi, is so fine. And God wouldn't have ever said, don't have her. And all of a sudden, it starts in rebellion and then we, we pursue and we chase and then we catch. And then we go, oh God, could you bless this? And he goes, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> 
Because how you start is determined, or how you finish is determined by how you start. That's why this morning as we stand here week after week, every week, whether it's me or somebody else, this is what happens. We call on you to revolt against social norms. That's what we're doing. Every week I'm challenging you to oppose a culture that glorifies sin. I'm asking you to challenge and stand up against a a culture that thumbs its nose at an absolute truth. I'm asking you to do that. I don't care what society says is right. I don't care what Hollywood says we should believe. Every week I'm challenging you to go, "Uh uh-uh, that's not true. I'm challenging you to do that. I'm challenging you to, to stand up and become very discontent with religious systems and expressions and practices that don't glorify God. That's what we're trying to get you to do. That's why we sing, I want you, God, so that we break down walls of just going through the motions. We're trying to get you to revolt against all of that. But let me hear, let me, let me be very, very clear this morning. I'm calling you to become revolutionary, but I'm not calling you to become rebellious. So, I need you to hear this next statement. I've never heard anybody say this statement before. I think it's original except for the fact that God's Word said there's nothing new under the sun, so it's probably not. But I don't know that I've ever heard this statement. I wrote this down and then honestly sat back in my chair and went, wow. I don't do that very often. But this time I think I got it right. And I need you to join me in a revolution based on this. And that is this, the counter-cultural call of Christ will never lead us to a counter-scriptural expression. That's good. I, I don't care if you amen me or not. That's stinking good. I amen myself. That's good, Pastor Steve. Amen. All right, I got that out of my system. The counter, See, everything that Christ calls us to is flies in the face of our culture. It is a countercultural call. However, his call will never lead us to become counter-scriptural in our expression. So what does that mean? It means that following the revolutionary Christ will not lead us to pride. Because that's counter-scriptural. Following a revolutionary Christ will never lead us to hate. If you say, I love Jesus, but I hate black people, then you are, a re- you are in rebellion. If you say, I love Jesus, but I hate brown people, then I'm sorry, you are in rebellion. If you say, I hate white people, then I'm sorry, but, and I love Jesus too, then I got news for you, you are absolutely in rebellion. Okay, it's good, I'm telling you. See, because... Thank you, Robert. I knew I could count on Robert. Listen, y'all. Following a countercultural Christ will never lead us to oppression. Never. Because that, that is counter-Jesus. It will never lead us, it will never lead us to prejudice. It will never lead us to lack of compassion. It will never lead us to lack of discipline. It will never lead us to lack of gathering. I just love Jesus, but I don't believe in this church thing. Then you're counter Christ in expression. Because Jesus, 
died for the church. This was his idea. And then later his, his apostles said, listen, don't forsake the gathering together of yourself. When we get together, we get stronger. We encourage one another. You, listen, a countercultural Christ will never lead you to a counter-scriptural expression. It won't happen. It will not happen. That's why you will never be called to a lack of action and say you love Jesus. That's why you will never be able to say, I, I, I love Jesus, but I don't give. If what you do stands in opposition to the written word or the spirit of the written word, then you cannot call that Christian. So today, as we look back over the 60s and we reflect on our, our, our own day, my question is this, and I need you to answer this personally. I've been trying to answer this in my whole, own life all week long. Are you revolutionary or are you rebellious? If you're revolutionary, then Jesus would go, boy, I'm with you. Girl, I'm right there with you. I, I revolted against everything that society said was normal. I revolted against everything the church was trying to teach that wasn't right. I revolted against no relationship with the Father. I revolted against mistreating people. I revolted against prejudice. I re Girl, if you're revolutionary, I'm with you. But he would also say this, if you're rebellious, where nobody can tell me what to do, and there's nobody that can judge me, and there's nobody that can call me into account. And I get to set my own rules. I know for 600 years of history, Christians have said that this is wrong, but they didn't know me. So I get to choose what I want. There are no moral absolutes. Quit telling me. Then you have become rebellious. If there's disrespect to godly appointed leaders. But wait, Steve. I don't like the leaders he appointed. That's not the issue. We don't get any say-so in that. So my question this morning is simply for you, and then we're going to pray. Is are you revolutionary? Or are you rebellious? Because if you're revolutionary, Jesus is with you. If you're rebellious, we don't like to hear this, He's against us. And we just sang... His way is better. I need every parent in the room that's ever dealt with a rebellious child to give me a huge amen to this statement. No, wait, I ain't made a statement yet. I ain't made a statement yet. That it is better. It is better to have a child that practices obedience than one that practices rebellion. All right, hit me up right there. Come on, amen, amen, amen. So if that's true, in the natural, why do we think that we can operate in rebellion in the supernatural and God be okay with it? So out of the 60s, we need to learn this. God is calling us to be revolutionary, but He is not calling us to be rebellious. And He's not just calling us to be free from. He wants us to be free to. Father, this morning I pray that as we have looked back over the 60s, together we would be able to make this statement, your way is better. 
Your way is better. Father, I'm concerned this morning for myself and the members of this family that we call passion that too often we still operate by what we learned in the 60s and we, without even thinking about it, without really saying it in our, in our own heart, it's, it's just the truth of the matter. We've come to this place where if it feels good, we do it. And we never really stop to think about, is it right? It's just that it feels good. It's, it, it, it's comfortable to me. So I, I make the decisions about what I want to do. I, I make the decisions about whether I want to give or not. I, I make the decisions about whether I want to love or not. I make the decisions about whether I want to attend or not. And I never really stop to think about, is that right? It feels good. But is it right? So, Father, this morning I'm asking, I, I'm asking you to do something here really special. I'm praying that what you would accomplish this morning is we wouldn't just take two minutes and run to an altar and pray and say, I want to be revolutionary, not rebellious. God, I'm asking that something different would take place this morning, something much deeper, much more important. I'm praying that what we would begin to do is over the course of the next week, that you would enable and empower us to stop when we're making choices and decisions. And we would ask this question of ourselves. And you would, you would reveal it to us. It would be so clear. You would confront us with this idea of, are we revolutionary or are we rebellious? And Father, I pray that what we would do is we would, we would use Scripture as the standard against which we determine whether we are behaving like a Christ follower. When I get ready to speak out against a God-ordained leader, whether I like him or her or not, I pray that what you would do is ri would rise up in me, that I would balance that against what you say in Scripture. I pray that as I start relationships, as I interact in relationships, as I, as I uh, maneuver through the relationships of my life, that and rather than just doing what feels good, which at the moment, may, it may feel good to cuss them out, to give them a piece of my mind, to tell them where to get off. Father, I pray that instead what I would do is I would balance that against the Scripture that teaches me that a soft answer turns away wrath. And that I'm supposed to bless those that despitefully use me. I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. So Father, what I'm asking you to do is raise up an army of people called passion that would be revolutionary and we would fight against social norms that says there is no God, that there is no absolute truth, that, that we can be whoever and whatever we want to be on any given day. I pray we'd fight against all that. I pray that we would stand up against the, the ills of society and we would be revolutionary and we would call people to a better way. Call them to a better way. Call them to a better way. But Father, I pray that we would do that in scripturally sound ways. And that we would never find ourselves operating in counter-scriptural expression. So that when someone stands up and says, 
I want to live like this. We don't stand up and say, God hates you because of that. That's not true. So that when we confront someone that's making choices that's going to destroy their life, we won't stand up in an expression and say, God despises you. Instead, we will operate according to Scripture. And we will call people to a revolutionary lifestyle called Christianity. And we would live it like you lived it, Jesus. Help us, I pray. Help us, I pray. Help us, I pray. So God, I'm, I'm asking you, help us to check in our own heart and life this week whether or not we're rebellious. And if we are, I ask that you would lead us into a spirit of repentance. And we would repent and move into revolution, but we would stay away from rebellion. And our lives would be marked by what your word says in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.